Well, good morning, guys. What an awesome God story, amen, to see what God's done in, in um, Darren's life. I forgot his name for a second, Darren's life. Just an incredible thing. We're so excited. And, uh, you know, we just celebrate that. That's what this series is all about, is those of us who, who have struggled with some kind of problem in our lives. God's setting us free, and we celebrate God's redemption. That's what the gospel message is all about. This morning, if you will, grab your Bible. And uh, I want to encourage you to write some notes this morning. You can use the back of your bulletins this morning to write some things. And go ahead and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. I want to welcome you on this rainy Sunday morning. I'm so glad that you're here. We are not going to get to all of Romans chapter 8 today because it's just so rich and filled with so much. The next few weeks we'll be continuing through that. Uh, but, but uh, you know, we'll do as much as time allows this morning. While you're turning in your Bibles, let me share a few things with you. Just some good news and just a special thanks that I want to share with each of you. I want to say again, and I said this last week, I want to say it to you again today. Thank you, EBC, for being so faithful in your service. Um, as I shared last week, our church has grown over 20% in the last year. We've had significant growth. And if you guys weren't serving and getting involved and helping in the student ministry and the children's ministry and greeting and all the different things, we could not facilitate the growth that God's blessing us with. And so I just want to tell you thank you. I want to thank you again for your generosity. Because you've been generous, we are again. We've come out of the summer months and we are ahead in our budget. And let me tell you something we were able to do this week. Because we're ahead in our budget and we're doing well and you guys are so generous, we were able to feed 200 people this week that needed food. Uh, we were able to do that this week. Let's give God a hand clap for that. We, could, we couldn't do that without your faithfulness, without your generosity. We were able to feed 200 people that were displaced by Hurricane Isaac a few weeks back. And we were able to give to that to be able to help a ministry that's in Louisiana that's feeding people that right now are hungry. And so I just want to say thank you to you. God's doing some great things. Our purpose here at EBC is about what? It's extending God's kingdom. We're about extending God's kingdom. We're about loving God continually. We're about connecting with one another. That's what EBC is about. And speaking of connecting with one another, I also want to celebrate with you that uh, this past Wednesday, we started a group, a life group in our, our church that meets on Wednesday nights. It's, it's called Lose It for Life. And it's not a diet plan. It's not a diet program or anything like that. It is a program that is that is scripturally based. It's dealing with internal things and and uh, I only had a few people sign up for it, so I was really kind of wondering what was going to happen with this group. But that night, we had 28 people show up for this group. And, uh, and yeah, you can clap for that. That's awesome. Here's what I want to ask you to do, though. Because what I discovered, and I knew this, that in this group of people, in, within this group of people, there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of pain. As anyone who deals with any kind of thing that has them in a place where they feel trapped... What I want to ask you to do is we are a church family, and when our brothers and sisters hurt, we hurt with them. And I want to ask you, if you will, just to have a quick word of prayer. And I want to pray for those, and I want to ask you, uh, because it takes courage to come to that class. It takes courage to share like Darren shared today his story. He was in the first service this morning, and it just takes courage. And I want to ask you if you'll pray with me for those who are in that group. Right now, with our heads bowed, would you just pray that God would give them just the courage to continue in this 11-week class. That God would help them finish strong what they have begun. Pray for your brothers and sisters that are in that group. 
that God would bring healing internally to them. Father, this morning, I thank you that you are about changing our lives. That's what this series is about. That's what our church has always been about. And I thank you for stories like Darren's, God. I thank you for your gospel, for your redemption, for saving us and changing our lives. And we celebrate that this morning. I want to pray for those who have committed to coming to this group on Wednesday night, God. We just commit that group to you. We, we know that that is going to make for a healthier church spiritually, emotionally, and Lord, also physically. And so, God, we thank you for that. And we pray that we would see great life change. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask you to pray for those because that's a big deal. It is a big deal. It's a big commitment. So I just ask you to continue to pray. We're in a series called Trapped. What has a hold on your life? And you've heard over the last several weeks several different stories of people within our congregation who have felt trapped by something, felt trapped by some behavior. Uh, in some cases, it's circumstances in their life and something that they have battled. And what we talked about last week, and if you didn't get to hear last week, I encourage you to go online and listen to it. We, we broke down Romans chapter 7. What we discovered last week is that we are for real, we are in a real war. We are in what the Bible calls spiritual warfare. Whether we choose to believe that or, or not, the Word of God says that we have some enemies. There are some things that we are up against, and God's Word teaches us this, that when these things are having victory in our life, and we'll discuss what those are, what you're going to find is that your joy and your peace as a believer is going to be absent. It's going to be gone. Thus, whenever your joy and whenever your peace that God gives you in your life is absent, as a believer, that nullifies your witness for Christ, right? I mean, if you are feeling guilty and you're feeling ashamed and you are feeling trapped, it's very difficult to share the good news of Jesus with somebody else. True? Because you feel like it's not even relevant in your own life and you're struggling with that. And, and the Bible tells us that we have some enemies and we've been looking at these enemies over the course of these weeks and we'll continue in the coming weeks. The Bible says that our enemies, we have three enemies and if you're taking notes, this is something good to write down. The world is an enemy of ours. Now what is the world? The scripture teaches that it is the value system in which we live that is opposed to Christ. It's not those who do not know Christ. They are not our enemy. We love them. We want to share the good news of Jesus with them. It's the value system that we are living in. The culture that we live in is one of our enemies. The other enemy that we discussed is the flesh. That is our sinful nature. It's the nature that you and I are born with. It is prone to sin. It is drawn and pulled like the law of gravity. The law of sin is real in our life and it pulls us down. It wants to do the wrong thing. It wants to do the easy thing, not the right thing. This is another real enemy that you and I face. The other enemy that we face is Satan. We have a spiritual enemy the, uh, that the Bible describes as a roaring lion that's prowling around, that is seeking for someone to devour. First Peter talks about this. So those are our three enemies that we are up against. The world comes around you and often influences you. It's all around us. Satan comes against you as a roaring lion. And the battle that you have with you is raging inside of you. 
You are in the middle of a battle zone. You are at war every single day. You are in the midst of a battle. And what God wants you to know is that this is a battle that is real. And as believers, we have to recognize the reality of the battle that we are in, that we do have real enemies. And if you don't know who the enemy is and you don't understand the strategies of the enemy, you're going to often live as a defeated believer. And you're not going to have joy and you're not going to have peace. And no one around you is going to want what you have because you're not any different than they are. Last week, what we focused in on was our key thought that we found in Romans 7 is that our biggest enemy is who? It's us. My biggest enemy is me. The battle that I face within me. Satan is a real opponent and a real adversary. But most of the time, Satan doesn't even have to mess with us because we're so good at messing our own lives up. We're so good at destroying ourselves and with self-destructive behaviors, oftentimes he does not have to mess with us because we do it to ourselves so often. We are our own biggest problem. So what do we want to do? We want to escape. We want to escape ourselves. We want to escape maybe those around us. And so we try to run off. We might uh, maybe uh, switch and move to another community or switch churches. Or we might uh, try to escape through food addiction. And, and because we self-medicate through that. Or we self-medicate in some other manner like Darren shared about. And we try to escape ourselves. The problem is, is that wherever you go, as we said last week, is that you're still with you. And that if you are your greatest enemy, your problem is still with you wherever you go. You may be able to self-medicate and you may be able to escape for just a little bit. But at some point, you're going to be right back where you were. And you've not dealt with what the real issue is inside of you. What we looked at last week is that there is a battle that's raging within you. You are you have two natures. You are born with a sinful nature. If you are a believer, the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ and you become born again, you now have a new nature and the spirit of God lives inside of you. And our old nature wants immediate gratification. Our old nature desires what is convenient. Our old nature does not necessarily want what is right for me or what is best for me. It wants the thing that is always going to feel the best at that moment. And a lot of things that we do, we know are actually self-destructive. We know that they're not good for us. We know that, that they are things that are not healthful for us. And, and, and we end up, and we know there are right things to do, but we don't do them. We know that there are things that are bad for us, but we continue to do these things. Romans 7, Paul says this as we looked at it last week and he sets it all up for Romans chapter 8. Paul says, I can't figure myself out. I want to do the right thing, but I can't do it. My intentions I'm finding are not good enough. I want to do right. I, I don't know how to do right, though. I don't want to do the wrong thing because I love God, but I do it anyway. And then what does he say? What's wrong with me? And that's where many of us get. What is absolutely wrong with me? I can't seem to do the right thing. See, that's the story of you. That is the story of me. Intellectually, we often know the right things to do. We know the right things to eat. We know what's good for us. We know what is not good for us. And I'm, I'm speaking from my perspective and my battle that I shared with you with food addiction. But not knowing it is enough, right? 
I mean, it's, it's one thing to know it. It's another thing to get yourself to do it. And this battle is going on within us. We have a natural resistance to do the easy thing, to do the convenient thing. In fact, our nation is in trouble financially because this is the mentality that we have adopted as a nation. We do what's convenient. We do what is, 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 we're in a financial crisis because we spend money that we don't have. And because we are wanting to satisfy ourselves at this point, we want what's quick. Our government has been living and doing this for years, existing like this. And now we're in a financial crisis that Peter's on the brink of destruction and on the brink of collapse. And, and the thing is, is we have this mentality and advertisers and marketers tell us this, that we can have it all. We can have it all. But the truth is, is that we can't have it all. Life is about choices. Life is about selecting things that are right and good intentions are not enough. The truth is, is that this battle that's going on inside of us, it causes and when it's not when it's not uh, handled properly, it causes most of the unhappiness in our life. Whenever we listen to our sin nature, when we listen to ourself rather than listening to what God says is best. So what do we do? We justify things. We often live in denial. We live in self-deceit. We say, whatever my problem is, isn't that big of a deal, but internally we hate ourselves. And so we rationalize our actions. This morning, we want to begin to talk about how do I overcome some of these self-destructive behaviors that are so prevalent in my life? How do I overcome this, these sinful behaviors, these self-destructive behaviors that dominate my life? We read where Paul said, I don't know why I do the things that I hate. I can't carry out the things that I know are right. And then Paul kind of comes to the end of that chapter and he sets up chapter eight. And what does he say? He says, what a miserable person I am. We learned last week that what this literally means is I'm at the end of my rope with myself. I am exhausted in trying to fix myself. I can't fix myself. He says, who will rescue me from this body of death? We talked last week about this body of death that he used this imagery as this body uh, in the Roman culture. If you murdered someone, they would chain that body to you sometimes and you would carry that body of death around with you everywhere you went until it decayed off of you. And so it was a reminder of your guilt and of your sin. Someone told me that was the first weekend at Bernie's. Okay. And so how do I begin to live in victory over myself? You've heard of, of weapons of mass destruction. That's something that we've been hearing over the last 12 years is these different weapons of mass destruction. But this morning, the Bible is going to describe some things that we can call weapons of self-destruction. These are areas where we self-destruct. When these things are out of control in our lives, they cause enormous pain, they cause heartache, they cause hardship, stress, and unneeded pressures in our life. They cause a lot of pain. Before we get into the text of Romans 8, I want you just to write a few of these down. And, and, and psychologists and professional counselors would agree that when these areas, these key things are out of control, they will mess you up more than anything else. But you've got to know what they are first. Some weapons of self-destruction, if you're taking notes... Here are some things that we discover is that shame 
Shame is the first thing. When shame is out of control in your life and you feel ashamed, you cannot be joyful and happy at the same time. When you feel ashamed about something in your life or something you've done in your past or what you did this last week, you're going to beat yourself up and you, when you feel guilty, when you feel regrets, it completely robs you of all of your joy and all of the happiness and the joy that God has for your life. We know scripture says God does not want us to feel guilty. God doesn't want us to walk around feeling ashamed. God doesn't want us living with regrets. But shame is something that many believers live with. And, and so it is a destroyer of joy in your life. It plagued Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, right? When they were there, they sinned against God. Then they felt what? Ashamed. And when they felt ashamed, they hid from God. It wreaked havoc in the relationship with God. It wreaked havoc in the relationship with one another. They started blaming everything and everyone else and living in denial. And, and shame is a big part of all of this. It will destroy the joy in your life and can ruin your life if you are living in shame. Here's another thing if you're taking notes is uncontrolled thoughts. Uncontrolled thoughts. When our thoughts are out of control, our thought life can ruin our life. When they are out of control, the scripture says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, right? So as you're thinking about things and your thought life is actually out of control, this is a self-destructive behavior. Uh, we say stuff to ourselves that causes unhappiness, it causes pressure, causes grief, things that are not necessarily true biblically, but we will tell ourselves these things or we will begin to believe these false things about ourselves, our uncontrolled thoughts can ruin our life. It's a weapon of self-destruction. Another one, if you're taking notes, this is big right here, is, is uncontrolled impulses. Uncontrolled impulses. These would be the things within you that are your inner drives. You could call them this, maybe your appetites. Appetites are not... Uh, evil in and of themselves. We have natural appetites that God has created us with. As a human being, we are created with an appetite for food, right? As a human being, I'm created with an appetite for affection from others. As a human being, I am created with an appetite for sex. These things are not wrong. They are gifts from God in and of themselves. But when these impulses and these appetites are out of control in our lives... And they control us rather than us controlling them. It will ruin your life. These things can mess up your life. They could be called lusts or habits. This is when we say I couldn't help myself. Another one is fear. If you're taking notes, fear is something that can destroy all of God's potential for your life. Because when you are living in a constant state of what is going to happen and you're, you feel as if you are out of control, what that causes in your life is anxiety. And when anxiety is in your life, there is an absence of peace. And you do not feel peace whenever you are fearful. And that is ultimately a lack of trusting God's goodness in our life. Fear out of our control will limit our life and can destroy our life. We live in a nation of people that are anxious and that many, uh, this fear is out of control. It's ruining lives. Here's another thing. If you're taking notes, we'll see in the scripture that it addresses this is hopelessness. Hopelessness keeps you from being able to move forward. Hopelessness ends up leading to uh, discouragement. And when you begin to feel uh, hopeless and you begin to feel discouraged and that's not dealt with and your heart is not encouraged in some way, 
that ultimately begins to lead to depression. And when you get depressed and you feel hopeless about your marriage or about your job or about your finances and you feel hopeless about your health, that absolutely can rob you of joy and can rob you of God's plan for your your life. That is a weapon of self-destruction, a self-destructive behavior. Here's another one, bitterness. Bitterness can ruin your life. If you live as a bitter person, it can ruin your life. We live in a broken world filled with a lot of broken people. Amen? And broken people, even people that we love, are going to hurt you. You will be hurt by someone. You will be hurt by someone you love. And many times you'll end up hurting people that you love. We are broken. And you have a choice in how you're going to respond to the brokenness that you see in the hurt. You can respond uh, through uh, holding this grudge within your heart. And it's like a cancer that eats away at you. And it doesn't hurt the other person. It hurts you. Or you can begin to experience God's forgiveness and extend God's forgiveness in your life. It's a self-destructive behavior. Bitterness is. Here's another one. And we're going to address this more next week is insecurity. Insecurity can ruin your life. And you've got to deal with this because if you don't know how to deal with insecurity, it's going to cause you and lead you to do foolish things. When you are an insecure person, you are going to end up saying dumb things that are going to make you look stupid because you're trying to impress other people. You'll do dumb things because you want to impress other people. And the only people that are usually impressed are the other people that are doing dumb things with you. Okay, And so insecurity is something that we have to deal with. Performance and insecurity are areas that people often feel trapped in. That they have to perform in order to be accepted. And, and these are some main areas of self-destruction that will ruin your life if you don't know how to begin to deal with them. And so this morning, as you begin to think about these things, you want to think, which of these possibly has a hold in my life? And maybe it's being manifested in a, a certain way or a certain addiction. Paul said in Romans seven twenty four. He said, and I want to ask you to read it with me. What does he say? Oh, what a miserable person I am. He said, I'm miserable. Was Paul a believer? Yes, he was a believer when he wrote this. And he was describing his his struggle with his inside, the internal battle that was going on. Paul saying, I don't know why I keep messing up like this. I don't know why I keep going back to some of my old behaviors. Man, I've watched Oprah Okay, I've I've heard Dr. Phil. I watch Dr. Oz. I know the right things to eat. I know all of this stuff, but I even watch The Biggest Loser and I get inspired for a little bit. But then next thing you know, I'm having a patty melt. What's wrong with me? None of this stuff lasts for me. Is it just me? Do I why do I have such a problem? He says, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin And by death, he says, and it reads as in this body of death, who will free me? Notice he doesn't say what will free me because the answer to this problem that's going on inside of you is not a program. It's not a self-help program. It's not a pill. It's not a book you're going to read or a sermon you're going to hear. Paul says the answer is a person. It is Jesus Christ and his spirit that has been made alive inside of me. Romans 8 teaches us, as we're going to see 
that Romans 8 is the answer to Romans 7. We raised a lot of questions in, in last week in Romans 7. Why do I do these things? It was all a big setup for Romans 8. How can I be free from this trap of me? Romans 8 has laid out and uh, has been said by many biblical scholars to be the most important chapter in all of God's word. It deals with all of these things that we just spoke about. Being free from this trap of me. Here are some things to write down. We won't get to all of them today, but these are some things that you need to start with. This is where I start in this process of freedom. First, I must remind myself daily what Jesus did for me. I have to remind myself on a regular basis, consistency or consistently what Christ has already done for me. This is the starting point. This is where my freedom in my life begins is to remind myself of what my salvation really is. You see, especially for many of us who have been Christians for a long time, a long time, we we uh, start taking for granted what Christ has done for us. We kind of grow numb to the grace of Jesus in our lives. And the next thing you know, we're far away from God. I have to remind myself regularly what the benefits of being a believer are. And, and the thing is, is we have a lot of people that are saved by God's grace, but they don't live like it. They don't act like it. They internally maybe don't even believe that God's grace can apply to someone like themselves. They've realized, they've not realized the benefits of the salvation that Jesus has provided freely for us. So what they do is they run around in shame. They run around with uncontrolled thoughts and, and with uncontrolled impulses and with a lot of fear and anxiety and bitterness and with insecurity. They are believers, but they've not actualized their freedom in Christ. The first step is you've got to remind yourself of what Jesus has already done for you if you are a believer. The price that has already been paid for you. How the Holy Spirit has already set you free from shame and condemnation. Remember, shame was the first weapon of self-destruction that Paul brings up. Look at these verses starting in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. And in fact, I want to ask us as a congregation to read it out loud together. Romans 8 1 and, and uh, we're reading from the NLT today. Here's what Paul says. He says, and say it with me. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. No condemnation. That's a good thing to underline in your Bible. What no condemnation means is that God does not judge you for all of the things that you've done wrong in your life if you have trusted Christ. That is the gospel. Jesus took all of the judgment that you and I had coming our way. He took it all upon himself while he was on the cross. God doesn't have to judge you because Jesus was judged for you. God doesn't have to condemn you because Christ was condemned for you. He took your penalty. He took your rap. He did the time for you and for me. And the Bible says, if I am a believer, I have experienced God's grace what does it say? There is no condemnation. It doesn't say that there's a little bit of condemnation. It doesn't say that, that there's just this partial bit of condemnation because God can't forgive that. It says this, that if I belong to Christ, there's no condemnation. So the question you need to ask yourself is, do I belong to Jesus? There's no condemnation for those who what? Belong to Jesus. This whole passage 
is talking about people who have given their life to Christ and have believed on Him in faith. They have trusted Him for their eternal life. If you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, this does not apply to you yet. If you've not made that decision for Jesus, by the way, you can trust Jesus right now. You don't have to wait to the end of the service. Right there, you don't have to walk down and out. You can pray right now, right where you're seated, and you can say, Jesus, save me. Be my Savior. I believe on you in faith. Be my Savior. I don't want to wait to the end of the service. I want you to save me now. And I need you right now. And if you have received Christ into your life, the Bible says that there is no condemnation. Let me ask you a question this morning. All right. How many of you would say, I belong to Jesus Christ? I've, I've accepted Jesus. He is my Savior. Would you raise your hands this morning? If that's you, raise your hand, okay? You said, I belong to Jesus. All right, look around. So many believers here today, what that means for you is this, is that there's no condemnation in this place. There's no condemnation right now. This means that God doesn't get mad at you when you sin. Did you hear that? God's anger towards you and your sin has been transferred completely upon the back of Jesus while he was on the cross. God does not get angry at you when you sin. What this means is the price has already been paid. It doesn't say, after I become a Christian, I won't sin because we know we have a sin nature that is alive. We're going to sin some still, right? We're going to have a problem. It doesn't say that as I still sin, that God is going to be angry with me. It doesn't say that I'm not going to make mistakes because you are going to make mistakes. And so am I. It doesn't say that you're not going to fail and look stupid at times because you are going to fail and look stupid at times. Just ask your wife or your husband, okay? You are. You're going to mess up. It doesn't say you're never going to mess up on your diet because you are going to at certain times doesn't say you're never going to relapse because at certain times you will cave in and make a bad choice and a bad decision. It doesn't say you're never going to sin again. What it says is that you are not under any condemnation when you do sin. And that applies for even what happens in the future. That applies in, in other words, you don't have to walk around with shame or with guilt you don't have to walk around with this because Jesus has already paid for everything that's happened in the back end of your life and everything that's going to happen on out ahead of you. He's already taken the, the penalty and the price. He's paid the price for every single thing that you have ever done and will ever do in your life. Guys, that is the gospel. And we often forget what the gospel means. You don't have to live with shame. The next part of this verse says, and because you belong to him and you raised your hands and you said, that's me. I belong to Jesus. And because you belong to him, what does the next thing say? The power of the life giving spirit. Who is that? That is the Holy Spirit has done what? Declare it with me. What does it say? Has freed you from the power of sin that leads to what? Death. Has it already happened? Yes. Because of what Jesus has done, if you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit, the Holy Spirit, has already freed you. This means you are already set free. What this verse means is that if I have Jesus, and Jesus has me, and I belong to him, then I have a new power in my life that is greater than willpower. Because up until this point, 
of trusting Christ, the only way you were trying to make it was with willpower. And how long does willpower last for most of us? Not very long. I told you that I can't tell you how many Januaries I've started over in trying to get right and get healthy and lose weight and all of this. And I'm white knuckling it and I'm trying to make it. And then my life group has a Super Bowl party. And the next thing you know, I failed and I go, here I go again. That's my willpower. Willpower runs out. It's a good place to start, but it runs out. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians out of ignorance, not because they're dumb, but just out of ignorance for God's word, do not understand their identity in Jesus Christ. And so we are simply depending upon our willpower to change us. But it's not happening. It's not happening. We keep failing. That's why Paul says, why do I keep doing this? We've never figured out how to connect to the spiritual power that the Holy Spirit makes possible for us. Or we think that that's just for somebody else. That's just for that other denomination, you know. They're the ones that believe that the Holy Spirit gives you power. And, and, and so what do we say? Uh, Paul says there's a new power in you that when you trust Christ, your life is under new management. When you, when you begin to change in this sense, it's because of what Christ is doing within you. And so what do we say, though? We say, well, if it's going to be, it's up to me. I remember at the uh, beginning of, of every year, when I went to Howard Payne, at the beginning of every year, our, uh, our university president would come up in front of, of, the, of the, all the students, and he would say, I want students, I want you to remember this, and, and he was very well-intentioned in this, but he would say, you remember that if it's going to be, it's up to me. And I remember sitting out there thinking, oh boy, I'm in trouble then. <laughs> because if it's going to be, and it's all up to me, I know that I'm going to end up failing. Because I'm weak. And I may be able to, to do some good things for a while, but I know this, that I'm in trouble if it's all up to me, because I'm broken. I am messed up. The next part of this verse in, in verse 3, it says, or this passage in verse 3 says, The law of Moses was unable to do what? Save us. Because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So keeping God's laws, keeping man's laws, keeping, if we can't even keep God's laws and, and we can't save ourselves in that capacity, what makes us think that keeping up with a diet plan or a regiment or some other self-help plan, that that's going to be able to save us? Because it's, it won't. It's another man-made thing here. And, and we can't even keep God's laws that are going to save us here. Or, or we can't even do this. Then what makes us think that we can save ourselves? He says you can't because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Laws simply do this. They clean us up on the outside. When we keep the laws, they don't work on inside change. They just clean us up on the outside. For instance, if I were to bring a pig out here, I were to bring it and put it up here on this uh, stage, a big old fat sow and one that had been rolling around in the mud and dirt and been eating garbage and 
stinks. And if you've ever been around pigs like that, you know they smell. And I said, what is this? You would say, that's a pig, right? Okay. Now, those of us with food addiction, we would say that is future bacon, all right, or ham. And that's what we see. But, um, but if I, let's say I take this pig and I take it backstage here or, or I take it, you know, outside and I, or I run it down here to the car wash and run it through there a couple of times and I get it all cleaned up and I brush its teeth and I put some pearls around it. I put a little flower on its head, maybe a little lipstick on the pig. I mean, this is what I do. And I say to you, what is this? You're going to say, you better not say your mother-in-law, okay? You're going to say, it's still what? It's still a pig. You can dress it all up on the outside, but the nature's still the same. And this is what self-help programs do is we spiff up the outside by sheer willpower. I'm going to clean up my life. I'm going to get on some new clothes. I'm going to do this. And the outside may look different for a while. Do you remember how many times last week in Romans 7, Paul said, I, 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 he had an I problem. He said, he said that personal pronoun 27 times in that chapter. I can't do this. I'm going to do this. I can't. And over and over. He was doing that for a reason, by the way. He was showing that we have a problem and our greatest problem is within us. I'm going to change my behavior. But inside, our nature is still the same. That's why we go back to it. We're prone to it. We are drawn to it. It is the law of sin. It's like the law of gravity. It pulls us down. Who will save me from this body of death? See, self-help programs and and, and different kinds of programs and recovery programs and classes like Lose It for Life, they're all good things, but they're not going to save you. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can save you from this body of death that you are carrying around. Your spouse can't be Jesus for you. Your pastors can't be Jesus for you. Classes can't be Jesus for you. Who will save me, Paul says. It's only Jesus. That's it. Christ and Christ alone. Now, he can use a lot of different tools in your life, but it starts with Jesus. Look at verse 3 continued. He says, so God did what the law could not do. What did God do? He sent. And what was the law? What could the law not do? Save me. Fix me. So he sent his own son. Who is that? That's Jesus. In a body like the bodies that we sinners have, except he had not sinned, right? And look at this next part. And in that body, God declared, look at this, realize this in your life. He declared an end to sin's control over us. It's done, right? Sin no longer controls us. How? By giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. In other words, God has declared you righteous. God has declared that sin no longer has its grip on you the way that it did. This body of death that you were chained to and carrying around, Jesus came and he unlocked those shackles and has been released from you. But we forget it. And we don't live like it. And we live like we're toting around a body of death. And we're dragging it around with us in shame. And then it says in verse 4, he did this. What did he do? He paid the penalty for us. He set us free. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be 
fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead, what do we do? We follow the Spirit of God. He did this for us. For us is a good thing to understand. Jesus not only paid for all of our sins, He did all the right things for us. Those of us who no longer do what? Follow our sinful nature, but instead, we follow the Spirit of God. He did it for us. In other words, if you were to die tonight, and you are today, or you were to stand before God, and he, and he says to you, did you keep all of my laws? You'd have to say what? No. But as a believer, what could you say? No, I did not. But Jesus did. And I put my faith in Jesus, and your word says that, that this has been fully satisfied. It's been paid. And we get in on Jesus' righteousness and on Jesus' power. The only one who's ever been able to do this is Jesus. It says that Jesus not only paid for our sins, he did all these good things for us. His righteousness now has been imputed to me or credited to me. It's been given to me. That's called grace. If you put your trust in my son, friend, come on in. So my question is, do you understand what Jesus has already done for you? What he has already done, this is where we begin. This is why we can sing, it's all because of Jesus, I'm alive. It's all because of the blood of Jesus Christ that covered me and raised this dead man's life. And I'm not singing it for you, okay? But that's the truth. I can sing that with integrity. I can sing that with joy. And the enemy hates it when we declare that. This is what has already happened. If you're really serious about changing your life for the better, you've got to start where God tells you to start. And God says that you don't start with your behavior, your willpower, your actions, your feelings, your emotions. No, you start with your heart and your soul and your faith in Jesus Christ. And then you realize and actualize the grace of God in your life. The battle for you to be set free from the trap of me, it starts in me changing my mind about who God is and who God says I am. You know what that is, guys? That is repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. A change of mind leads to a change of behavior. Here's the last thing I want to ask you to write down today. Our time only permits us to get to this next one here is this is the next step. This is the next part of this. This is the next part of Romans 8 is I not only do I have to consistently remind myself of what Christ has done, that I don't have to live in shame anymore. I need to ask the Holy Spirit to begin to change my way of thinking. To, to, to begin to invite the Holy Spirit into my mindset. You remember what the second weapon of self-destruction was? It is uncontrolled thoughts. Your thoughts are out of control. We begin to ask the Holy Spirit to change our way of thinking. We invite Him to take control of our thoughts. And let me ask you, if you think you're on a regular basis asking God to take control of your way of thinking, do you think God wants to answer that prayer affirmatively? Absolutely. That's a prayer God loves to answer affirmatively in our life. And, and this is what the next two verses say here in Romans 8. In verse 5, he says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, what do they do? They think about sinful things. That's that, those, out, those appetites out of control. When you're dominated by the sinful nature, they think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, 
Has that been been made possible for you? Yes. Those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, they think about things that do what? Please the Spirit. You're controlled by the Spirit of God. These are two different mindsets. There's the mindset of your old nature that is scratching and clawing to be in control. And then there is the mindset of the Holy Spirit. What this is called, when you yield to the Spirit of God in this sense, what this is called, and other scholars have called this, and it's called living a crucified life. It's when those, that old nature begins to try to claw for control again, you begin to yield your life, moment by moment surrender, uh, word by word, action by action, and you say, the Holy Spirit is in control of my life. I've yielded to Christ. My old nature hung on the cross with Jesus. I have been what? Crucified with Christ. That's my old man. Has been crucified with Christ. God, you're going to have to take control of my mindset. I can either choose to begin to yield to those old patterns and those old ways. Or I can begin to actualize what God has said is already true about me in faith. That my old self is dead and gone. It has been baptized in death with Christ. And raised. I've been raised with a new mindset. What's going to be best? Is the life controlled by the Holy Spirit? Or a life that is controlled by my out of control appetites? And so I have to set my mind on things above. Set my mind on things that are right and pure and holy and just and this is what the scripture says. Look at verse 6. He says, so letting your sinful nature control your mind. What does that lead to? Death. Those are those self-destructive behaviors. When you yield to those on a regular basis, it's leading to death. When I continue to yield to gluttony in my life, as I shared with you several weeks back, it was leading me to a rapid, rapid death physically. As I was beginning to struggle and feel the way that I was feeling. When you begin to yield to those impulses that are out of control. And your thought life is out of control. And, and, and your sin nature is on the throne again in your life. It leads to destruction. It leads to death. But letting. So what that tells me is this is a choice. Letting the spirit control your mind leads to. Everybody say it. What does that lead to? Life and peace. I met with a man this week, uh, a, a man that I consider a good friend, and he was telling me his story, and he was sharing with me, really, that his life in the last few years has been like the life of Job. And he began to share with me all these different things that he's experiencing and going through, and he told me this. He said, Bart, he said, you know what's really different about this is that as I'm going through these different circumstances and my life seems out of control in different ways, he said this, I have a peace in my life like I've never had before. He said, my friends even kind of think I'm crazy. And I, 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 as we continued in our conversation and we were having coffee together, I, I, I said to him, I said, you know what you're describing? You're describing what Paul says as Paul was in prison and he was in this place on death row for the gospel of Christ. And Paul was talking about his joy and he was talking about peace. He was talking about not being anxious for anything, but in all things and thanks, giving thanks in all things. Paul said, that's a peace that passes all understanding that guards my heart. And that's what you're experiencing. That's why your friends think you're crazy. 
And so I want this kind of life. I want this kind of peace. It comes with daily surrender. The Holy Spirit's answer to my uncontrolled is the, is the answer to my uncontrolled thoughts. It's this word surrender, moment by moment surrender. This principle of, this is called, another pastor calls it this, the principle of replacement. God's word teaches this, but this is the principle of replacement. And anytime you want to change something in your life and you're serious about changing it, you yield to the Spirit of God. You don't keep on resisting that thing. You surrender to the Spirit of God and you replace it. It's replaced in your life. Like last week when I said when I'm watching the Rangers game and the Whataburger patty milk commercial keeps coming on over and I'm just going to tell you, that's my, that's my favorite commercial. That is my favorite thing to eat, okay? And there is nothing sinful about the patty milk. I'm the sinner, okay? And uh, when it's out of control in my life, and I'm watching that commercial over and over again, watching the Rangers, and the cheese is melted and oozing out the sides. And those onions are caramelizing on the grill, and they put that in that Texas toast, and I'm pretty sure I just drooled on myself, okay? And they do that. And I'm watching this, and I am saying, because I'm tired of being fat, I am saying, man, I'm not going to eat a patty melt. I'm not going to eat a patty melt. I'm not going to be eat a And it's all on my mind right there. And before you know it, I'm saying, you don't have me, man. I, and it has me, okay? I'm not going to eat it. Next thing you know, I'm white-knuckling it to Whataburger and giggling maniacally on the way. <laughs> you know? And I'm, I'm on my way there. And, 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 I'm, and then after I, I cave in, and again, there's nothing wrong with that burger, okay? There's something wrong with me. And when I cave, I say, what a loser I am. What am I doing? I was even giggling maniacally. What's wrong with me? Man, I just caved again. By the way, last week, someone in the first service said they were going to bring a bag of Whataburger and eat it in the back while I was preaching. And I told them this morning, because I've already talked to them, I said, you are a sinner. I want you to know that. And you need to repent. And I rebuke you. I said, Satan, get behind me. You're wrong. And then after service, he said, you want to go to Whataburger with me today? I said, you are such a sinner, okay? But here's the thing. The whole time you're focusing on what you don't want, whatever your attention is on has you. So you've got to replace that. So I'm telling you, this is what I do now, okay? Now, every time you see this commercial, you're going to be thinking, well, Pastor Bart's walking, all right? I see him in the park all the time. It's because that commercial's on all the time, okay? But here's, I'm, I, here's what I do. I have to get up a lot of times where I change the channel. I have to go do something. Maybe I'll do something for my I can't just sit there and continue to focus on that over and over again. Because it's had its claws in me for so long. And so what I do is I get up and I, maybe I'll go for a walk down the block. Or I'll, I'll walk to the park for just a little bit. Or, or I just get, and, and while I'm doing that, I am praying. And you can do the same. And what I do is I say, God, I need you to take control of my mind again. Because right now, I am under attack. And God, I feel out of control. Flood your presence into my mind. Capture these thoughts. Lord, I take these thoughts captive. I make them obedient to Christ. Your word 
says this has no grip on me. So I have to begin to replace this. Your word says this addiction does not have me. I belong to you, Lord. You bought me with your son's blood. That's replacement. Maybe maybe you don't have time to go for a walk, but you need to change the channel. Maybe it's not food for you. Maybe it's something else. You need to change the channel in your mind. And you got to begin to fill your mind with things that are good and fill your mind with what Scripture says and fill your mind with who God says you are. you got to replace that stuff. Because we've been believing the lies for too long. As long as I keep trying to resist in my own willpower, I fail. Listen, you choose what you're going to dwell on. You choose what you are going to fill your mind with. You can't blame somebody else. I can't blame Whataburger. I think they're a wonderful organization, okay? I can't blame them. I am my biggest problem, so I've got to choose something different in my life. You are in control of your thoughts and what you're going to dwell on. But now, as a believer, the Bible says you have a helper. And you are not alone. And he wants to help you. And he wants to to help you realize you are free. And that it does not have you. He does. And you can say, Holy Spirit, I invite you to give me your thoughts, your ideas. I don't want to live this way anymore. I would encourage you this morning, right now. Say, Holy Spirit, you have free access to all of my life. You're the Lord, I'm not. We're not going to get to any more of this today. We'll get to it in the coming weeks. But it starts by reminding myself of who I am as a believer. I am not going to walk around with shame because there's no condemnation. And then it starts also by yielding my thoughts to Christ. Do you belong to Christ? Let's pray. As we pray this morning, many of you raised your hands and you said, I belong to Jesus. You know, one of the things that in our class the other night, we said, why why are you taking this? And we just kind of opened it up. Why are you taking this? And there were... A few people, and one of those was me, that said this, and I think everyone who's in this class, that we're battling that, that addiction, we're struggling with, with something like that. This was a common theme. Is, I'm a believer, but I am tired of living a defeated life. I hear about victory in Jesus. I hear about, I, I just don't, I'm just tired of living a defeated life. If that's you this morning and you are a believer, but you have been living as a defeated believer. Maybe just begin to have this moment with Christ right now and just begin to pray. Just tell him, dear Jesus, thank you for everything that you have done for me. Thank you, God. that Your word says that I've been declared righteous. Your word says there is no condemnation in my life. Even when I failed, even when I messed up, 
Lord, you did for me what I could not do for myself. You did for me what the law could not do for me. Your word, you declare this in your life. Your word says you destroyed sin's control. And that it no longer has me, but you do. Lord, help me to never forget what you did for me. When I feel ashamed and when I fail, help me to remember what you did on the cross for me. Now, would you yield your mind to Christ? God, give me your thoughts. I need to switch mindsets. I've been, I've been allowing my life to be controlled by the sinful nature. My old way of thinking. I invite you, Jesus, to put your thoughts in my mind all the time. When I begin to, to be tempted, when my battle is raging, Lord, help me to turn to you immediately at that moment and surrender. If you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior, then I, I want to encourage you to take that step today. You can say, Christ, dear Jesus, be my Savior. I want you Will you be the manager of my life? I, I don't understand it all, Lord, but I trust in you. I place my faith in you. I know you're the one that can save me. I know I can't save myself. Lord Jesus, give me your eternal life. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. We need each other, Lord, but I thank you mostly that we have you. Pray your blessings be upon your people today, God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need somebody to pray with you whenever we're done with this service, we are glad to pray with you down here. We love you. And again, we just thank God for you. Pastor Randy. I love you, Pastor.